Heavenly Father, I humbly beseech you to see before you a sheep of your own fold, a lamb of your own flock, and a sinner of your own redeeming. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In my parents' house, uh, there hung um, an illustrated prayer. It was it's about this big. I have it now. It's at my house. It's, it's not hung up. Uh, it's... It's in a closet because the frame broke, but I remember it often, and it actually has on it several stanzas uh, stanzas of a Scottish prayer. The best known stanza is the one that goes, from ghoulies and ghosties and long-legged beasties and things that go bump in the night, good Lord deliver us. I have to tell you that... uh, uh, that as a child, I was both grateful to have this prayer in my house. We lived in an old Victorian wooden house. So I was grateful to have the the prayer on the one hand, but I was kind of concerned about the ghoulies, ghosties, and long-legged beasties that the prayer mentioned and exactly where were they and when were they coming to get me. I was pretty sure that if I woke up in the middle of the night and I turned on any light or made any sound at all, surely that would tell those ghosties and ghoulies and long-legged beasties exactly where I was in the house. And so they would come and find me. Now you say, what does that have to do with the gospel? Well, what we're told, and this is the only gospel that has it, is that Jesus is uh, baptized. He has this vision of a dove descending on his head, and that he is then sent into the desert for 40 days. He's tempted by Satan there, and he was with the wild beasts. And I can't read that part of the gospel without thinking of those long-legged beasties. That he was in the desert with the long, which is the way I'm going to now refer to that passage as the passage of long-legged beasties. And while he's there, that the angels uh, wait on him. It's almost as if he, you know, Mark is a shorter gospel in some ways. You have to know the back pieces of the story a little bit. But, it, but it's almost as if he does this Harry Potter apparition spell. And Jesus is at the baptism one moment, and boom, he's in the desert the next, which is a lot like the way most of us feel when we come into Lent, right? Everything's going along great. We've just gotten finished with Christmas and New Year's and everything's wonderful. We actually have this great passage of the transfiguration. And then now we're kind of flung into Lent. Dun, dun, dun. Now, I want to talk about this particular passage and how it has to do with us and our Lenten journey. I have to tell you that oftentimes I think that Lent is about going into the desert for 40 days. That's what Lent's about. It's supposed to be about going into the desert. But the truth is, when I think about my life, I live life in the desert. Now, I don't know about you all, but I live life in the desert, and I am constantly looking or searching for fill-in-the-blank. I mean, so 
you know, I could put any number of things in there, but I'm hungry or I'm thirsty for love, appreciation, care, attention, compassion. Now, you all are much holier people than I am, so you probably have none of those desires and hopes, right? But I know that every day I live in a world of scarcity, which is a, is a desert of life, where I am constantly searching for, trying to get, I'm hustling to get, to feel, to be somehow made worthy. And what I know about being made worthy when I get into that is that that is shame. That is shame. Shame is living life not feeling worthy of love and belonging. It's different than guilt, and I'm going to offer in a minute that Linda is actually about guilt. Right? It's different than guilt because guilt says, I did something wrong. Shame says, I am wrong. Those are two different kinds of messages. Shame is living life not feeling worthy of love and belonging, and that is living in the desert constantly with no sustenance for my thirst and my hunger. The desert of life is a desert of never-ending hustle for worthiness. How important, how important then it is to hear the words about Jesus before he goes into the desert, right? You are my beloved with whom I'm well pleased. You are my son. Right? I mean, this idea that God says to Jesus as he enters into the desert, you, I love you, and you do belong. You belong to me, right? That's the message that he receives right as he enters this, this desert. No matter what desert journey you look, no matter what part of the gospel you look at, the temptations that he come up against are ones that are offered to him in shame. You're not good enough. You're not appreciated enough. You ought to do this. You ought to leave your ministry behind. But he has a sense that he is loved and that he belongs. And so that's the first thing I want to say to you as you go into this Lenten peace. You are loved. You do belong. The work's already happened. Lent isn't about somehow achieving perfect Christianity so then God will love you. The fact is that God does love you. God does want you to belong. So now what are you going to do with it? And the question that we offer ourselves in Lent is what are we doing after we receive that love and belonging? Now, the second thing that we may do is we may actually believe that what we need to do with Lent is to set up this kind of, you know, work uh, with uh, where we come into uh, or tempted by uh, or, uh, you know, we, we open ourselves up to temptation by depriving ourselves. What happens, you see, in my life in the desert of, of shame that I typically live in, in my hustling, my desert hustling, if you will, is that I, the temptation is this. Because I think sometimes we think it's a, it's a different kind of temptation. And I want to get really clear on what the temptation in the desert is. The temptation is that it's working. That my hustle, my goal to receive love, appreciation, and all that stuff, that it actually works. Which is the same thing that we know is offered to Jesus in the desert. Which is if you'll do these things, then you'll have this thing. You'll have wealth. You'll have God's love. You'll have the, the whole world unto yourself. All of those things are offered to Jesus in the desert. The problem is for me, what happens in my desert, I actually think that the hustle 
is working. And so what I want to say is that belonging is different than fitting in. Belonging is different than fitting in. And I think sometimes we come at Lent with this idea that we're going to fit in a little bit better. Right? Uh, So fitting in is this. And it is the temptation. And I have argued that it's Jesus's, it's, it's ours as well. We are tempted to run and play this worthiness game by believing that if we set aside who we really are, our authentic selves, if we set aside the people we've been created to be, which, by the way, is imperfect, right? We weren't created perfect. Jesus uh, offers us uh, a sense that what happens in the temptation game is to believe that if I fulfill other people's ideas of who I'm to be, then I'll fit in. Jesus, though, says in the message that we are God's children, God is pleased with our creation, and wants us to be free from the temptation. That's the reason why Jesus comes. God loves us. God sets us free to engage in this relationship with God without the burden of temptation and shame. And that is good news. Now, here's the piece is that there are long-legged beasties. I'm going to tell you the truth. There are long-legged beasties. I haven't met a lot of ghoulies, lots of long-legged beasties. And I will tell you that we are them. We are the long-legged beasties. Because what we do is we bump around in this mess, this desert, and we have conversations with one another, with one another. As beasties, we take all of those kind of messages, those ghostly messages about how we're not good enough, and we actually project them onto everybody else. So instead of dealing with our feelings of shame and working on guilt and owning it, what we really do is we go to our friends and neighbors who we love dearly and we tell them that you're not good enough. That's what we do with it. It's an amazing thing. It's called, it's called a shame storm, right? I feel shame, so I'm going to make you feel it. I'm going to make sure that you feel it. You're not holy enough, good enough, spiritual enough. And we in the church play this game in an awesome way. And in Lent, we like, we're getting to be professionals. Well, I've been really struggling. I haven't eaten in five days. Finally broke down and had Russell Stover's candy the other day. I mean, we just get into this thing. And we throw out as if we're some kind of... Now, man, we, you already broke most of the stuff you promised you were going to keep for Lynn anyway. It's all right. I mean, how, we haven't even made it a week. Some of you didn't even take on stuff. That's how miserable this process is because you don't want to play the game anymore. Right? So let's just not play it. But that's what we do. We're the long-legged beasties. And the thing is that we do it in church, but we really do it outside, which is you don't live in the right house, you don't wear the right clothes, you're not rich enough. Whatever it is, we want to outdo one another with this. We're the beasties. And I think that what, you know, it's one thing to do it, kind of be out there and in your face about it, But the truth is, in our intimate relationships, in our close friendship relationships, all you have to do is roll your eyes, turn away, 
shut people out, don't engage them, turn them off, or drop them as friends. That is a very toxic desert to live in. The truth is we do those things. And we should repent of them. It's just guilt. We don't feel good about it. It's not that we're not worthy of love and blindness. It's just God invites us, because we're loved and belong to him, to not be that way with one another. What would it be like if we were enough for one another? What would it be like as parents if our children were enough for us? What would it be like as brothers and sisters if our siblings, if our brother or sister was enough for us? Here's the good news. We're loved and we belong. And the last thing in the desert passage is, thank God they're angels. Now listen, now we could go in and we could have a whole theological discussion about angels, okay? I'm in for that, but not in this sermon, okay? What I want to offer you is that he goes, he goes into the desert, he's tempted, he's living life like we do. And what does he find there? In the midst of the long-legged beasties, in the midst of the shame storm being given to him by the devil, in the midst of all that, what does he find? He finds angels who tend and, 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 and minister to him. You and I have angels in our lives. These are the people who protect our flame. These are the people who we can tell anything to. These are the people who we can trust. They've earned it. These angels remind us no matter how we're feeling, no matter what we've done wrong, these angels tell us that we are still theirs, that we still belong to God, that no matter what we do, we are loved, no matter what we do, no matter what we don't do, we're loved. You and I know these angels. I bet right now if we paused for three minutes, you would write their names on the page. Probably only have two or three of them. But we have them, don't we? We have them. The task in Lent is to become angels for one another. Not perfect, but people who are messengers, that's what an angel is, messengers of the gospel, the good news that's come near, messengers of God's love and belonging to other people. So I'll bring it all down to this, a message I want you to take clearly with you as you set out on your Lenten journey, as you offer your daily prayer, as you sit quietly or pray from the little prayer books that you've made up for yourselves. Here's what I want you to remember. Lent is not about creating a desert for yourself. It is not about creating artificial temptations. It is not about finding the devil or new beasties to go into combat with. 
It is not some kind of religious hustle where you are going to gain God's love. That is not the Lenten discipline, and it is not the Lenten journey. Father Farrar Capon always reminds me of this. I dug it out this last week as I was beginning Lent's old book that I've got. My dad gave it to me. God has made us worthy of love and belonging because, as Capon says, there is no condemnation that was taken care of on the cross. There is no condemnation of you. And God is not up there condemning you. That is over. It is done. It is finished. And the question, Capon says, and the question for you this Lent, is what are you going to do with that freedom now? What are you going to do? Figuring out how we don't live into that and claiming that love and belonging for ourselves and beginning to work on ourselves. Stopping the hustle and giving it away for free. Then it's about taking down our shields and our costumes and our masks and everything that we put up to look perfect or that we put up in order to protect ourselves. And finally, it is about being angels for one another, messengers of good news. So in your prayer time this week, Ponder the life of Jesus who has lived this life, this desert life with us. Who knows shame and temptation and long-legged beasties. Hear his journey to the cross this Lent and see that he goes before you. But most of all, see that you have been released. That you are free. Because you are loved and you belong to the one who has made you. And that you are free to share that love and belonging with others. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.